Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Linda Strader. Now, she has an amazing, amazing story. She is a former wildland firefighter. So you're thinking, what in the world is that? There's wildland fire, wildland firefighters, structural firefighters, rural firefighters. There's quite a few different worlds. Uh, if you've seen the movie, which I continuously mention, she finally knows what I'm talking about and mentions the name of it. Uh, the movie's called Only the Brave. It came out in 2017 with Josh Brolin, Jeff Bridges, Miles Teller, a bunch of those people. Um, the reason I'm mentioning that is because it kind of showed me what this wildland firefighting was. Um, she did this in the 1970s, and uh, it, it's basically, you know, these people that go out and fight these wildfires that you, that you see. They're becoming increasingly more and more, uh, you know, in California and Arizona. That's where she was based in Arizona. These firefighters that break out on, you know, public lands, that somebody needs to go in and, and stop them, um, do the best they can to contain them, and then eventually uh, get them to, uh, to go away. So we're going to talk about exactly what it means to be a a wildland firefighter, what it, it's like to be choppered into a forest fire and trying to, to stop something that's acres and acres big. Um, some of the techniques behind that, things you would be maybe surprised that they do, including start fires to stop fires. Uh, it's going to make some sense when she talks about why that's the case. Uh, we're also going to really talk a lot about what it means to be a, a firefighter as a, a female. You know, she started this in the 70s. She dealt with a lot, a lot of discrimination, a lot of people thinking that she couldn't do it because of her gender. We're going to talk about those experiences. We're going to talk about what the world is like for female firefighters now. Um, it's not uh, it's not as great as, as I, I hoped when I, I talked to her. I hope that she had kind of been a, you know, break that, break that glass ceiling, kind of be a, uh, a pioneer in that and that things are a lot better. It's not that much better. Uh, we're going to talk about the numbers there, and and uh, and I, I I didn't love them. I, that's that's what I'll say to that. Um, she's going to tell us about her books. She's created, um, she's written two books. One that's that's a lot about the firefighting. One that's kind of a prequel, and we'll talk about what that one's about. Uh, what she did after she left. Uh, being a firefighter because she did have uh, an injury and so she's you know this is 20 30 years since she's been a firefighter and she's had a, a lot of amazing success since then um, it, just an amazing amazing conversation between talking about the real important issues of gender equality in, in all professions how she overcame some of the barriers that she was uh, presented the actual jobs she's going to tell us some really amazing stories about her time working in alaska working in arizona all that kind of stuff just i really 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 enjoyed speaking with linda i think you'll enjoy this too uh, i i don't want to say too much more uh, because she is just an amazing person and she's going to do a great job of, of kind of explaining the world of uh, woodland firefighting so without further ado here is linda strader I'm here today with Linda Strader. Miss Strader, how are you? 
I'm good, Chris Jackson. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it very much. If you would, just introduce yourself. Well, my name is Linda Strader, and um, I'm a former wildland firefighter, but at this time, I'm a landscape architect, certified arborist, and watercolor artist, as well as an author. That's awesome. I'm, I want to unpack quite a bit of that, but you know, your story kind of in, in the books and everything starts in the mid-1970s and in firefighting, just like you, you just mentioned. What made you want to become a, a firefighter from the start? Because I think your story kind of highlights a lot that there wasn't a ton of people, you know, ton of women that were doing this at the time. So you didn't have a ton of people to look up to at that time. So what made you think firefighting? That's what I want to do. Well, I certainly did not grow up wanting to be a firefighter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the little kid that, you know, played with fire engines and, and, and wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. When I was a teen, after I got out of high school, I was living in the small town of Prescott, Arizona, and there wasn't a whole lot of work there. And what little work there was in a town of 12,000 for a young woman was secretarial, uh, waitressing, uh, retail sales, um, didn't have the money to go to college. And I hated the thought of doing any of those things. So I kept looking for something different. Mm. And I love the outdoors. I was always, it's a beautiful place in Northern Arizona to hike. And, and I, camp. And I did all of that. And I never dreamed that there was actually a job where you could do that until, and, and I, and after looking for work in, in Prescott area and not finding anything, I very reluctantly gave up. I, I went down to Tucson thinking, I'm just going to have to go to a bigger city and I'll, you know, I'll be living at home forever. And I just, I wanted out. Hmm. And that's where I bumped into the U S forest service. And I, knew someone that knew someone and they got me a job. Yes, it was, a, it was a, an office job, but I was a timekeeper for the Catalina hotshots, which is an elite firefighting crew hmm. up on Mount lemon, which amazingly, you know, it's hard. A lot of people have a hard time imagining, but, but there's some pretty significant mountains in Southern Arizona and Mount lemon is 8,000 feet above Tucson. So mm. I'm sitting up in the pines. I get a job working at a ranger station, keeping time for a bunch of really cute guys. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and so I, I took the job, hated the work, but I loved where I worked. And I thought, this is really great. So I did it for two summers and realized, well, I don't want to you know, be in an office again. I want to do what those guys are doing. Mm. And so I applied for it and got it. I didn't get the job there. I got a job in another mountain range here in Southern Arizona. So it was, it was something that I stumbled on and it didn't take me long to realize I found exactly what it was I was looking for. Yeah. And I want to kind of break down what it's, you know, what it was like at the beginning, but I want to kind of break down what this whole firefighting thing is to begin with, because there was a movie not too long ago. It was a couple of years ago. I, I should have looked it up before we started, but Maybe, you know, but it talked all about, you know, these type of firefighters and those that go out and, and do the, the huge wildfires. Um, but talk a little bit about what that job looks like, because it's, I'm sure, very dis- different than, you know, like a, a city firefighter hanging out in the uh, in their, you know, firehouse and, and going out and, and saving buildings. Right. It's, it's quite a bit different. 
It is quite a bit different. And I certainly have a lot of respect for structural firefighters because what they have a lot, they have different dangers than we do, mm. but a wildland firefighter. So now we're, you know, we're, we're at the whim of the weather. Mm. And when a fire gets big enough, it creates its own weather and it's very unpredictable. So it may be calm winds and we've got the fire under control. And when that air gets superheated, you start getting these downdrafts and they can just come up and just completely wipe you out. Um, and firefighters have been lost when the weather changed abruptly um, and they were trapped. So this happens. And so we have you know, and we're out there with, we're carrying the gear. We don't wear the gear that a structural firefighter has. But we, so we have to, our gear is a lot lighter. We really, um, all we're wearing is Nomex clothing, which is fire resistant. We don't have the big fire suits because we're out there hiking, you know, we're in steep terrain, you know, um, sometimes almost inaccessible terrain. And so we have to be, pack light and we're carrying a hand tool. Um, we don't have any fancy oxygen masks or anything like that. We're just wearing a bandana tied over our face to keep mm. this, you know, um, so it's, it is tough work and it is unpredictable, as I said, and you have to learn to pace yourself because a, a structural firefighter might be fighting a fire for, for a few hours and then we'll get a, a relief crew will come in. I've been out, for weeks on one fire mm. and you're working, you know, double shifts, you're working 16 to 18 hours a day. And then you, you don't get to go home. You just throw yourself down on the ground and you go to sleep and, you know, and, and they'll maybe they'll fly some food into you, but usually we just, you know, back then it was old sea rations is what we carried. Mm. And so, you know, so, but it, so it's, it's not a glamorous job by any means, except there's something about people who love firefighting, you know, either you love it or you hate it. And, and I loved it because the satisfaction of, of putting the fire out is just, you know, it's phenomenal. And, and you know, that you've pushed yourself to the absolute brink and the feeling that you get of, wow, I really did that. You know, at um, there's just no comparison. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really really cool. And you talked about how it's not a a glamorous job. And you know, I think part of your story is that it wasn't super glamorous to be the the trailblazer that you were when it comes to to joining a, a force as a as a woman. Talk a little bit about. I want to talk about your actual experience with it, but before that, talk about your feelings realizing as you were starting this, that you, you weren't going to be among, you know, your peers, there it was going to be a bunch of, a bunch of men before the, before we talk about how they treated you, tell us how you, uh, you went into it feeling. Well, so I was very naive and I was all gang gun ho for this job. I thought, heck, I can do this, you know? And, uh, I think it was like day two of work. Um, this, this older man says to me, you know, what, whatever possessed you to take a job like this? And, and I just, you know, looked at him and I said, well, what kind of job would you like me to have? <laughs> and he said, well, I like my woman barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, I think, oh, goody. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. And so he, he gave me a really rough time, but with the guys, you know, with my crew, 
it wasn't it wasn't fun to be treated like that, but I did stand my ground and 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 I had to work twice as hard as they did to prove that I could even I even deserve to be there. And so, you know, and that I resented because you know, we all worked hard, but I had to push extra mm. just, you know, to be somewhat what I thought was I thought I was going to be accepted by doing that. But what I would discover later in my career, of course, is that that didn't matter. Mm. It just wasn't welcome there. So, you know, you, you, you talk a little bit about how you were treated by the crew. I think that it was, it was almost uh, a structural inequality too. talk a little bit about the entire experience, maybe some of the issues that you faced both with your, with your crews and then with the, with the forest service too. Yeah. So the, since I, with the forest service, um, firefighting is, is a seasonal job. So mm. every summer I would reapply. And sometimes uh, for the first three years, I worked in the same place, but that didn't mean I always worked with the same people because other people would move around. And so, so every summer I felt like I started over. Oh, great. You know, I have to prove that I could do this job. I've been here, you know, even when I've been there three years, you know, it's, it's my third summer. I've got plenty of fire experience. The new ones come in and they're giving me that look like, what the hell are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, you know, great. Mm. And, you know, and it would get old, uh, but I would just, I just say, well, this is just the way it is. But as I furthered my career, then I started running into places that wouldn't hire me at all. Hmm. And this was long after the Equal Employment Opportunity Act had passed. And so what it turned out is that the Forest Service was very resistant to complying with federal law to hire minorities, which included women. So they were always looking for ways to, to get around that. And I actually got accused of filling the woman quota on the crew. And that was the only reason I was there, mm. that I never would have gotten the job otherwise. I was mm. told that I would not be hired because I was a woman. And when I protested and said, no, wait a minute, you can't say that. And the guy just looked at me and he says, so, you know, it, it's just you and me here. So what are you going to do about it? Mm. And so it's like, uh, okay. And I, so I actually complained. I filed a formal complaint against one man because he gave the job to somebody who only had one fire season of experience and I had four. Mm. And so I filed a complaint and it came back to bite me. I was actually blacklisted and I wasn't allowed to work on a fire crew. The next job that I took, um, they wouldn't hire me because they thought I was a troublemaker. Mm. So I actually left the Forest Service for a couple of summers and worked for the Bureau of Land Management, thinking that maybe that would be better. And whether it was better or not, you know, it's hard to say. And, and, and I, and, and, but it did get me a job in Alaska, which I really wanted to try. So I went to Alaska and worked for the Bureau of Land Management on a fire crew in the summer of 80. And so I, I really liked that, but the, but BLM, it just wasn't the same thing. And I wanted to work for the forest service. So I ended up back with the forest service, but nothing's changed. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's still very difficult for women. So what, what's the difference between, you know, working for a fire crew with the Bureau of land management and working for it with the forest service? Cause you said you wanted to get back to the forest service. Well, the first and foremost, the Bureau of land management doesn't have a lot of forest. Mm. 
most of the forests are under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Forest Service. And I didn't want to work. And so the land that they oversaw was not very nice. It's kind of like the leftover stuff. And so, so I wasn't working in forests, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in forests. And now Alaska's different because Alaska's so big. Up there, the Bureau of Land Management has a considerable amount of forests. And so that's why I went ahead and did that. Um, and then I came back to the States and I worked for the Bureau of Land Management in Colorado. And I was actually working on a timber crew and I was um, marking trees for, for um, harvesting, which kind of went against my, you know, love of nature. <laughs> so, so that, I, I, although the job was interesting, that still wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. So I ended up coming back to the Forest Service and, uh, and, and that, that didn't last long and I was injured and had to, had to quit. Gotcha. So, you know, we talked about those two that obviously have, have land. So does like the national parks have their own fire crews as well? Uh, They do, but they don't hire like the forest service does. So Mm. they, they actually, yeah, they do, but there wasn't anything in Arizona that particularly appealed to me. And so, yeah, for whatever reason, I didn't explore the national park system. Maybe they didn't have their own fire crews. Maybe they were relying on, because a lot of areas probably do rely on fire service from the nearest community. They would you know, rely on, um, you know, rural fire departments to do that. Um, everything is changing in the world of wildfire right now because of all the fires that we're having. So mm-hmm. um yeah, the Forest Service doesn't have anywhere near enough employees to handle the amount of fires that are, are uh, breaking out these days. So they're trying to look at, rather than seasonal employees, and making them a permanent employee, which is about time. Because as a seasonal employee, you have no benefits, no health care, n- no vacation pay. You know, it's, um, yeah, you work your tail off and you get really no benefits at all. So <laughs> mm. you talk about how you are a seasonal employee. What did what, you do the rest of the year? Well, so I would look for things to do, yeah. And um, I went, one thing I like to do is I used to uh, – I had a little landscape maintenance business there for a while. And so my clients liked me so much because most of the time it was young men that did that work. But they really liked hiring me. Um, number one, I, when I said I was going to show up, I actually showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I worked really hard. and. Uh, and I liked that. Uh, so I did that for quite a few summers. That, that was, and, and they would wait for me. So some of them, when I would go off to my fire job, they'd say, well, you know, let us know when you get back. You know, so they let go whoever it was that they had while I was gone mm. and then rehire me in the winter months when I got back. So, yeah, that's, that's funny. And, and it sounds like, you know, there's, there's still some, some inequality even now, but I want to know, from, from your first year to that last year, I think it was seven years, um, seven seasons. Yes. Did it, did it ever get easier? What did it ever, were you ever more accepted or was it just a, a push the entire seven years? It was a little easier in Alaska. Um, I still had a boss that was a complete flake, but my coworkers, I had a couple of women that worked on the crew and, and so it was a little better. 
my last season before I lost my job, I was hired on a hotshot crew, which is what my goal was. I was on fire suppression crews before that. And there's and so what's the difference? The difference there's no difference. It's the same work. The only difference is that a hotshot crew is regional. So they are they're the ones that travel all over the place. If there's a fire in California, you go to California. If it's in Oregon, you go to Oregon. Whereas fire suppression crews are usually located on a particular district. So they will like when I was working down here in Southern Arizona, I was protecting my area. And that didn't mean that I wouldn't go places, but it meant that if, if, if there was a fire out of state, the hotshots would go first. And then if there was another fire out of state and they needed more people, then we'd get to go. But mm. so that's the only difference. We all fought fire. It was all hard work. We all worked really long hours. And, but the one thing I'll say, um, I don't think it happens as much now as it did then is that when we weren't fighting fires, we were doing all kinds of project works around the district. So, you know, we kept up the campgrounds, we maintained trails, we built fence. Um, I mean, we were always busy. And I learned, I learned a lot of life skills in that job, you know, fixing plumbing, you know, I, I mean, just, just stuff around my house. I learned just by maintaining the station you know we were always doing something vehicle maintenance and we were always doing our own vehicle maintenance so so all that stuff paid off yeah and i want i want to kind of talk about the actual uh maybe a few stories i i know that you 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 told me you have some some scary stories and then also some humorous ones if you would tell us a scary one to start out with well so we were fighting a fire in northern california and we and, and very typically Firefighters work at night because it's a lot easier to control a fire when the winds calm down, it's cooler, you know, and it's the humidity is higher. So a lot of times you're working the night shift, but that also means that you're wandering around in a forest in the dark mm. and you're not on a hiking trail or anything, right? You're just wandering around out there. And so you're, de you're depending on other people to know where the heck you are. So we were, they were doing a major backfire and a backfire is when you set fire to stop an advancing fire. So this is when the fires are so big that they are setting, they, fires, um, once they get into thousands of acres, they, they can send embers miles ahead of the main fire and start another fire. So it's always jumping ahead of itself. Mm. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll set, a, they'll wait till the winds change and they'll set a fire and burn out all the vegetation in front of the advancing fire just because then you take away the fuel and then, you know, and you can control it that way. So they had done that. And then they sent us out that night to make sure that the fire line that was built, it was, the fire was so big, they were using bulldozers to build fire line, which is clearing out all of the vegetation, trees, and, you know, ground cover and everything um, down to bare soil. So we were watching that to make sure that the fire didn't jump over that, you know, the, the backfire that we had set. So we're, so we're there, we're all spaced out in pairs, you know, for, you know, I don't know, maybe a mile. And so we were watching that and my supervisor came, uh, the our crew boss came around and he said, you know, everything's looking good here. So we're going to wrap it up and we're going to move to another area. And so, you know, we started to get up and he says, no, 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 you guys stay put. I'm going to go get the rest of the crew and we'll pick you up on the way back. Uh, okay. Now you're the boss. So we're sitting there and it's real quiet and we kind of doze off. And all of a sudden I wake up and I think, what, 
they never came back. I look at my watch. It's like two hours have passed. It's like, where are they? So, so we're like, well, what do we do? Do we just, you know, cause they should have been back by now. So we decided to start walking the fire line and see if we could find them. And we meet a crew coming the other way and they look at us and they say, what are you doing out here? We're getting ready to set this area on fire. <laughs> and we're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, so, so if we hadn't left, they would have backfired that area and we probably would have died. Oh my goodness. And, and it just, I was so, when he found our crew, I was so mad. And I went storming up to the crew boss and I said, where the hell were you? Why didn't you come back and get us? And, and I couldn't believe that nobody noticed that we were missing. Mm. And, you know, so I never got an explanation as to why they left us there. They just weren't paying attention. Or I mean, I agree we were tired, but that's how things like this happen. That's how, you know, somebody wasn't keeping count to make sure that everybody was accounted for. And so, um, so I mean, the, the, we were fine, but the thought of, well, that was close because if we hadn't decided, if we decided, ah, oh, let's just wait another hour, it would have been too late. Mm. That is crazy. And I, I think too, the people listen, when you were kind of explaining that story, it's interesting to hear firefighters definitely in this, in this world are going to set fire to try to stop another fire. That's, that's something that sounds counterintuitive, but it's obviously makes sense when it comes to trying to trying to stop something for sure. Yeah. Um, what would you, let, let's say that, you know, that the fire would have started, what happens then? Um, Again, in that the only experience I have is that uh, that movie, and of course, movies are always completely accurate. So, what happened with them was that exactly what happened. They got surrounded, and then they they put on some kind of like basically looked like a, a shelter, uh, yeah, like a sh- shelter that, that was you know kind of metallic looking. It didn't right. work. They they perished. No, but, that, and you're talking about only the brave. Yes, probably. I don't know. Yeah, it's called, the movie was called Only the Brave, and the and the, and that crew that died. Um, they're from Arizona. They were from mm. Arizona. In fact, they were from the Prescott area, which is mm. where we moved mm. to. So, yeah. So they were using a fire shelter, and that that when we were carrying fire shelters on that large fire, and so those were new that summer. That was the summer of '77 when those were introduced. So they're a fire shelter, and they pretty much look like an aluminum pup tent. Mm. And the idea is that so so. It, you got a fire advancing. You have to get that thing off your pack, open it up, take it out of its package, clear the ground to bare soil, lay down, put the thing over you, put your elbows in the corners, your feet in the other corners, and pray. Because it depends on what kind of fuel you're in. If you're in a light grass fire, you might get away with maybe singed elbows and toes but a forest fire where you're looking at trees burning you're looking at temperatures of over 2000 degrees and there is no way in the world that that shelter will save you and the other thing that you don't think about is that you're breathing superheated air so your lungs will burn Mm. and the fire also burns all of the oxygen so you will suffocate so they, that hotshot crew probably suffocated to death. Mm. And, 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 and it really was traumatic when that happened. Um, that, 
I had people contact me that I hadn't heard from in 30 years, wanting to know if I knew any of them, because they knew I was from, originally from the Prescott area. And I said, no, I, I don't. But, but it didn't matter. I, I just knew that they were in the wrong place. And they left their safe, they were in a safe zone, and they left. And yes, the weather changed. Yeah. So that's why they got trapped. So we, so, and I was in a, and they were in brush, they were in heavy brush and we were talking, you know, it's like five or six feet tall and it's so thick, you can't walk through it. So there's no way they could clear the ground. There's no, I mean, it was over for them and, and it just, it's tragic because they shouldn't have been there. Mm. And so I've heard that I haven't seen the movie. I can't watch stuff like that. It's just too hard for me to watch that. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've heard from other people, other firefighters that have watched it and they said it was pretty accurate. So mm-hmm. what you, what you saw is it was probably pretty accurate for what goes on out there. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just in, in, in saying that and, and hearing about a, a situation that a lot of people did lose their lives when you were doing this, I mean, was it something that you were just kind of, young and brave and, and kind of just out there? Or did you realize just how dangerous it was during at the time? I, well, you know, we were trained. I mean, we were told that, you know, things can happen and, <laughs> right. and, you know, and, and when they gave us those fire shelters, of course, we're looking at them like, Oh good. We don't, you know, what we don't need is to carry more weight, you know, cause mm-hmm. we're already trying to figure out how to carry enough water. Cause you know, I'm working in the desert, you know, so, um, and water is the heaviest thing that we carry. And, mm-hmm. So th- those shelters were, you know, added another few pounds and we're like, you know, well, I'd rather carry a few more pounds of water than that. Cause we, none of us believed that they would work, but you know, we were told, you know, you're going to carry them anyway. So, so we knew that we knew there were dangers. Did we think it would happen to us? Probably not. I, we had some scary situations. I never had one where I had to deploy my fire shelter. I certainly thought about it a few times of, I wonder if this is the day I'm going to need this thing. I hope not because I think I'll just run like hell. I don't think I'm going to stop and take the time to open it all up and get the ground cleared and crawl under there knowing that I could die in that thing. Um, I read, I mean, you can't outrun a fire. I know that too, especially a wind-driven fire. So mm. it's one of those things where you just, you know, you, you accept it. I mean, it certainly wasn't that I didn't think anything could happen. I know my parents worried themselves sick over me doing that job. And, but my dad just, he, he just was opposed to me doing it at all because I was a woman and I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. My mom knew that I loved the job, but she just worried and didn't, but didn't say anything. She just said, well, you know, I'll worry, but I know you love this. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you know, and you hope, I mean, that fire where they left us, they could have trapped us. That was a case where do I trust the people in charge? Because, you know, this is, this was a 50,000 acre fire and there were hundreds of people out there. So this was, you know, so we're talking, you know, 1977 and you'd think, well, haven't communications gotten better because we just had two way radios. Um, Well, actually, no, because when you're out there, cell phones don't work out there. You're out in the middle of a forest someplace. So communications are still challenging Mm -hmm. on a large fire and having hundreds of people out there and keeping track of who is where. You know, and, and so here I am trusting that my own crew would notice if I wasn't there, you know, and they didn't notice they were at fire camp 
and when we walked up and they were like, well, where the hell have you been? And we're like, where the hell were you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, why did you leave us there? Cause we were doing what we were told, you know, we were told to stay put. Yeah. Well, let's go from the scary and the, the dangerous to maybe one of, one of your funny stories. I think, I think you, you mentioned something in Alaska is, is, is maybe where that is. Uh, Alaska was such a different experience. Uh, so I ha- I absolutely hate mosquitoes because they love me. And most people mm. know that Alaska has a lot of mosquitoes and their mm. stories are true. I mean, they mm. are, they're really awful. And, uh, we were, we, we never, well, we kept thinking, we kept waiting to go to a fire and it rained almost every single day. And so we were getting, and we didn't have any other things to do to keep us busy. We were absolutely going bored, we were bored crazy. And so we finally get a fire and we get in a helicopter and we fly out. Oh, I don't know, several hundred miles west of Anchorage. And if you look at a map of Alaska, look west of Anchorage, there's nothing out there. I mean, there's absolutely, there's no villages. There's no nothing. It's just tundra all the way to the ocean. Mm. And so they drop us off and by gosh, it's raining, but there's a fire burning. Mm. And so we're just like, wow, this is just really amazing. So we land it was the longest I've ever spent in a helicopter and we land and the helicopter had pontoons on the skids. And so I'm asked the pilot, I said, what are the pontoons for? And he said, well, we're landing on tundra and tundra is like a big wet sponge. Mm-hmm. So when you put weight on it, water comes up. And so I'm watching this fire burn on top of tundra. It's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So, so when we built fire line there, we would walk on it and water would come to the surface and wet the ground. And that was our fire line. Hmm. Or we would take our tools and we would cut a piece of tundra off, fold it over and expose the permafrost, which would stop the fire. But then we had to go back and put the tundra back again, because if the permafrost melts, then you mess up the ecological system out there. So, so we were building fire line and then putting it back again, which is really weird. Hmm. So, so we were out on this fire for a couple of weeks, eating nothing but sea rats, which, you know, just canned awful stuff. And um, they promised us a food delivery. So finally we see this plane coming and they were going to drop it via um, parachute. They were parachuting uh, these crates of food to us. So my pal Dan and I were, had camp duty that day. And here came the plane, and we were just we were so excited. Finally, food, you know, real food. You know, we, and, and, you know, fresh fruit and, and coffee, and, you know, instead of instant coffee. So the plane drops one, and the parachute doesn't open. And that crate just slams into the tundra and disappears from sight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then the other one, the parachute did open, and then it just kind of bounced along. So we're like, oh, this is great. You know, so we tried, so we, we started, we headed out to get the box. We wanted to see if we could find the one that went, that went into the ground. And so we start walking out there and all of a sudden I, I step down and I sink into the tundra up to my crotch with one leg sticking out straight, Mm. the other legs all the way in the ground. Mm. And I can't get my foot out. <laughs> and, I'm, and so I screamed for help and Dan's just laughing at me. 
And I said, well, you're no help. Come get me out of here. And he just laughed. He says, well, get yourself out. I said, I can't. You know? <laughs> and, and I was afraid that if I pulled my leg out, my boot would come off and then my boot would be down there and I'd really be stuck, you know? Mm. So then all of a sudden he sinks. Uh. <laughs> so he's got one leg down and, and he can't get out. And we're, we just start laughing and we can't stop. We are just hysterically, although we're both a little concerned too. <laughs> mm. We're going to get out of here. So that was, we finally figured out we got both feet out at the same time and realized we had to crawl because mm. if we distributed our weight, then we wouldn't sink. So we crawled to that box and we found it and mm. everything in the box was completely squashed flat. Mm. That, you know, the coffee can, it was, it was, it was flat, but there was no coffee anywhere. And we were trying to figure out and holding up the coffee can. I was like, well, where's the coffee? And it's yeah. like, <laughs> everything was ruined. <laughs> uh. Uh, the other box was okay. But uh, so that was now, and we had to drag it. We used ropes so we tied ropes around it. And then we crawled toting this box behind us. It was, it was just, you know, it was, you had to be there. It was absolutely hilarious. And yet it was absolutely ridiculous, uh, you know, of what we had to go through to get those food boxes. back. To yeah. And then the, the, uh, the crew gets back and you, you're like, you better enjoy this food. You do not know what we had to go through just to bring it back to the camp. Yes. And, yeah. and actually Dan played a trick. He told them, we didn't tell them at first that the one box was still, uh, that, um, we didn't tell them about the tundra. Hmm. And so Dan told them that the other box still had chocolate in it. Hmm. <laughs> see, see if anybody would go out there and get it. <laughs> but, you know, we finally admitted, no, no, you don't want to go out there. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That would have, that would have been, that would have been interesting for, for sure. And I, I want to, I want to wrap up a little bit of the, sure. you know, the, the fire part just by, I guess, wondering where we're at now. You, know, you 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 talked about how there there's still some some disparities. Um, you know, is there is there a lot more females doing this work now? You know, I, I, like I talked about in the very beginning, you know, representation is a huge thing. So, just having one shows other people that it's possible. Then it makes it bigger and bigger. So, where are we at with it? You know, it's a, it's it's really amazing. But out of all of the firefighting jobs that there are, and that includes structural and and rural and wildland firefighting, only seven percent are women. Mm. And it was seven percent in 1977. Mm. And the only reason it was seventy seven percent in 1977 was because it was the, the push of you, you better hire women or else. I mean, the Forest Service has told you have to hire women. So it's still only seven percent. And I have heard from women that are working for the Forest Service and, and other fire agencies, and the discrimination is rampant. The sexual harassment is absolutely horrendous. And I was discriminated against. I was harassed, but I was never assaulted. And women are being assaulted. Mm. And that's just appalling. Um, and cause I kept thinking that as the old school, you know, the men that have been working there for like forever retired, that the new people, new men would come in with a, a better attitude of, you know, we're working as a team. You know, it's not like we're competing against each other. We're working together. Apparently not. Hmm. I, I hate, I hate to hear that. I really, it, I it's, really it is. And, but I still, I if I have if ever a woman ever asked me, well, you know, I'm really interested. Should I do it? I say absolutely, you should do it. Hmm. 
because the more women there are, I think that this will start to go away. And, and what's sad is that I, now I, you know, I make it sound like a lot of the men, you know, most of the men were against me. They weren't, there were, I did have men that were on my side. And I think that's part of the reason why I just kept pursuing it. Cause when I would find somebody that would support me and tell me you could do this job, you're doing it, you know, and you're a really hard worker. So, you know, so don't let, you know, these people get to you. So then I feel like, well, okay. You know, I mean, I really do love my job. So I, I just kept pursuing it. Yeah, but it, it's tough out there. But women, if they have any interest at all, I say go for, just do it. Absolutely do it. You know, I say it's a glamorous job. I think then it was. You know, but I think you know certainly in, as time has passed, people respect it more, especially as there's more and more fires and they get bigger and they're more catastrophic. You know, the California fires were just are just absolutely horrible. I've never seen anything like those fires. Um, so, so the fire situation is going to get worse and we need more people. And it doesn't matter what gender you are, just, you know, if it interests you, go for it. Absolutely. So if, if you were, you were still, you know, young and ready to, to go do this, do you think with the way that the fires are now, do you think it would be something you would, you would have still done or has it gotten pretty crazy? Well, it's pretty crazy, but I think, I mean, as much, I mean, I love my job now, you know, if I was still young, yeah, I'd probably still be doing it. Um, if I was still, if I hadn't had to resign and, and I never did back, get back to the forest service, I ended up in college. Um, you know, I, I would have done what most people do. It's a young person's job. So when you're in your forties, fifties, you end up becoming the overhead that oversees the battling of the fires and where the crews are and the logistics of fighting it and all that. And, and that's, you know, what a lot of the, my former coworkers are doing. They're still in the forest service, but they're now, you know, they've been fighting, um, working in the fire field for, you know, 50 years. So they're, mm. they're now overhead. So, and their, and their experience is invaluable because obviously mm. they've learned a heck of a lot. You know, so. I love that. I love that. And I want you to kind of tell us, because I know you wrote, at least one book a little bit about this experience and then another one, um, which I, I want you to tell us what that book's about too, but just talk about those two books. If somebody picks them up, cracks them open, what are they going to get from them? Well, so I, Summers of Fire, I wrote first and that was, um, that's about my fire adventures and, and my career and the challenges that I faced, not only in that career, but after the career ended after the injury and how, um, and how I, had to re- rebuild my life. And so that's Summers of Fire. So there's a lot of adventure in there. There's a little romance. There's certainly a lot of, um, you know, the bonding of uh, lifetime friends doing that job. And, and Uprooted, A New Life in the Arizona Sun is the prequel to Summers of Fire. So mm. it's, 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 it's more about how I, when my parents decided to bring us to Arizona um, in 1972, and they uprooted the family and decided, you know, we're moving to Arizona. And I ended up moving in the middle of my senior year of high school. Mm. And it was traumatic for me. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's more of my journey of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and, and realizing what I don't want to do. It was a lot of, you know, I don't want to do that. What do I want? And I just kept pursuing what it was that I really wanted. And, so uproot is more of, but there are, I mean, because it, it, it takes me through the working for the Forest Service um, as a fire timekeeper and learning about the fire rules, something I didn't even know existed. And when I discovered, you know, 
there's a whole different way of life that I had no idea um, was out there. And I wanted to be a part of it. And, and, and I was discriminated against then. I just didn't know it. Mm. <laughs> you know, I was only 18 years old. So when, you know, when I got stuck in the office, I thought, well, yeah, that's what women do. You know, I was, mm. you know until mm. I realized, and I never even noticed there weren't any women on the hotshot crew. I, I just figured, well, I guess that nobody applied, but I'm going to apply. Mm. And nothing stopped me. It was like, you know, it's like, why can't I do it? I mean, they can do it and I can do it. So. Absolutely. And I want to get back to the book, but you, you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, something stopped you from, from continuing on an, an injury. What, because I feel like we've, we've kind of left that hanging. What exactly happened here? I destroyed my knees. Mm. Uh, by the time I was 27, I had completely destroyed both of my knees. I've had a lot of surgery. I was told that I would never hike again. I was told that I, I, I didn't think I would ever walk normal again. I was, um, it was, and it, the surgery didn't work and I ended up having more. And so I spent like 20 years of my life uh, in, in severe pain. Hmm. Um, but I, I, it's, I'm, I'm hiking again. It, 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 it finally stopped. It finally, it was unrelenting, but it finally stopped. Well, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that you've got some, uh, some relief now. And I want to, so there's, there's why you're, you're not, uh, I guess one of those, uh, 50 year old, 50 year veterans because of, of that, that, that makes sense. So I want to kind of get back to, uh, to the books. You talked about how, you know, the first book is all about your time on the fire service. Second one was a little bit before. So we kind of stopped right at the end of, uh, I guess your, your time in, in firefighting and maybe a little after, but do you, do you have a, a desire to, to keep writing? Have you written everything you feel like you need to about your life? Uh, are you wanting to branch out and write about other people or make up things or where are you at as an author? Actually, I'm working on my third book. So, and, and it's, it's more fiction. And, and I was having this discussion yesterday, actually, when I was hiking with friends. What is a memoir versus when I'm hearing people say fictionalized memoir. To me, fictionalized memoir is an oxymoron. Mm. Because if it's fiction, it's fiction. Mm. If it's memoir, it's true. And if you put fiction in the memoir, it's not true anymore. So it's fiction. So I'm sorry, it's fiction. So I've never heard that. I would, I've heard like based on true events, but fictionalized memoir, that is, that is an interesting way to say it. I would write it as based on true events. Exactly. Yeah. Because if, if you're fictionalizing the memoir, then yeah. it's not a memoir, folks. It's just, right. you know, right. and, you know, so, yeah, so, so we had a really interesting discussion yesterday about that. So, um, so my, my book is, it's fiction because there's a lot of things in it that really happened, but not all of it. Mm. So it's fiction. Mm. So, and, um, and there's a little bit of um, time travel in there too, so. But that would so, be, I would probably be fiction. That would, if it's not fiction, yeah. then this is a whole, whole well, other conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fiction. And, and, and it's been, and actually it's, I mean, writing memoir was hard enough. It took me eight years to write Summers of Fire. It mm. took me four years to write Uprooted. That's, it just takes as long as it takes. But when I started the other, the, the new one, I was thinking, well, 
I don't know. I, mean, I kept saying, I, I can't write fiction because I'm terrible at making things up because with memoir, you know where it's going, you know, because mm. you lived it. So, you mm. know, this is how it's going to end. And you just got to go from point A to point B and tell a good story in between uh, point A and point B. With fiction, everyone keeps telling me, oh, it should be so much easier. And actually, it's not. Mm. It's, it, you have to put a lot more thought into where the heck am I going with this and why? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a lot harder. Uh, so this will be a while. <laughs> but um, I've got about, um, let's see, I looked at it yesterday, 35,000 words, which is, a, and my memoir is published at 90,000 words. So I'm about a third of the way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that part Thank for you. sure. Where, where are you at? I've obviously, it's been 30, 40 years since you were doing this. Are you, is this kind of something that's so has been so ingrained in you that, you know, let's say those hiking buddies now, do they know all about this? Or is it something that when your book came out, because yeah. I've talked to a lot of people, you know, that wrote memoirs about things that happened early and then they have family like, or friends like, I had no idea about all this. Is this something like, oh yeah, this is, this is Linda. We we've known about this for a long time, or was it a surprise to people? Well, it, you know, for the people who, who know me and have known me for a number of years, you know, yeah, they, they knew that I was a firefighter. And, um, but you know, the, the people that one of the people that I hiked with yesterday didn't know that, but the, the other person did. So I'm always, it's the people who know me who say, Linda used to be a firefighter because it, yeah. it does always, <laughs> and you don't, like, you don't introduce you yourself did? as I'm Linda and I used to be a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, so I, and, and of course, you know, now that I've written the book, you know, I certainly um, I give a lot of talks. Of course, I do the podcast interviews and and it's and even though the book came out in 2018, uh, there's still plenty of interest. Um, my hometown paper um, last May published. Uh, I contacted them to see if they'd be interested because I'm originally from Syracuse and they were fascinated with the fire angle. And they I was on the front cover of their magazine insert. And so that was pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that is really, really, really cool. So talk a little bit about life since, since the fire crew, what, you know, I know that you went into, into architecture, but tell us about uh, what, what's been happening in the last 30 years, 30, 40 years. Well, yeah. So after my fire career ended, I had to make a decision because I, my, my doctor told me, you're not going back. And and it was a very difficult thing for me. I mean, that was my life. And I, I didn't really know what the heck I was going to do. And I was actually in therapy. And I remember telling the therapist, you know, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I can't, I can't go back to my forcerist job. And he said, well, you know, you could, you could, you could go to college and, and get a new career. And I just looked at him and said, but I'll be four years older. I'll be 34 by the time I, and he's like, but you'll be 34 in four years, whether you go to college or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's, it's like, Oh, <laughs> so, so I, he told me to take a career test because I had no idea what, what to do. And I did. And so I got back this printout of hundreds of jobs. And the very first job on the list was garbage collector. <laughs> and, <laughs> I just, <laughs> and I like, no, I'm not doing that. And third on the list was landscape architect, which is how I chose my career. So I ended up at the University of Arizona. I graduated with a degree in landscape architecture. And then two years later, I returned for a master's degree in land planning. Hmm. And so that career, so that it, 
I, that took off and I started working in offices in Tucson and I was making good money. And uh, I since divorced and, and actually I was in the middle of the divorce when 2008 came along. Remember 2008 was a pretty awful year. Mm. I got laid off. Mm. So I had just bought a house. Mm. I had filed for divorce. And then four months later, my mom died. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? And I couldn't find a job. Nobody was hiring. Landscape architecture just disappeared. It was considered a non-essential uh, field at that point. I mean, develop, land development just disappeared. Um, the company I was working for laid off 50 people, which was half the office. So I ran out of unemployment and I thought, what the heck am I going to do? You know, and I was applying for it everything and anything, but nobody was hiring. So it just occurred to me, I thought, you know what, if I can't practice what I know, maybe I can teach what I know. Mm. And it just so happens that I live in a community that has a program where they have all of these centers and it, it, most of this community is a retirement community. So these people pay into this uh, recreational facility they pay, uh, it comes with their property taxes. And so, and so with it, they get recreation centers with pools and fitness centers and all this stuff. And, and they teach adult education classes. So I approached them and said, so how does this work? And they said, well, if you've got a class you want to teach, you just pitch it to us. We'll take a look. We think it'll be of interest to our members. We'll see how it goes. And um, so I, I pitched a class in desert landscaping. And I've been teaching that class for 11 years now, and I really love to teach. And so while I was teaching, I would have people come up to me and say, so you're a landscape architect. Do you do landscape design? You know, and I thought, of course I do. So the next thing I know, I have a business in landscape design. So somehow I survived that layoff. <laughs> um, I, I, it wasn't easy. I mean, every year, you know, because when you're self-employed, you don't have regular work. And it, was, it took me a long time to get used to not having a regular paycheck and, and having, you know, health insurance and all of that. Um, but somehow I've survived all of this. I paid off my house and I'm still teaching and I'm still designing landscaping in my community. So, so that's, all. that's fantastic. I, I love to hear that. And I mean, it sounds like it was either successful enough or you enjoyed it so much that, you know, after after 2008, after things settled down, you, you, you didn't go back to, to a regular office. No, I, yeah, I, I kept looking for, for quite a while. And then I realized, you know, I really like what I do. I'm not making a lot of money, but I don't care. My bills get paid. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, I mean, Tucson's 50 miles away. I don't have to commute a hundred mile commute. I don't have to do that anymore. And, and I make my own hours. I, so, as, you know, I do what if I want to go hiking on Thursday, I'll not schedule any clients for Thursday and I'll go hiking. So, yeah, I decided that you know, I wouldn't work in an office again. It just I I don't miss office politics. Mm. I do miss coworkers. It took me it also took me a really long time to get used to working at home and not having anyone around and talking to. But I'm pretty um, efficient and you know I, I can really focus when I have to work I have to work and so it's you know so it's and it's okay and I don't so so I like being you know 
in charge of it. And, and, and at, a, at the age, you know, where it, it going, going to an office just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Mm. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. I, I like yeah. that. So, so tell people in, in wrapping up how people can find these books, how they can connect with you. I think you're a little bit off the grid, but how, uh, how can people connect with you and how can people find the books? Well, both books are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, there's other online um, venues as well. Um, I have a Facebook page, an author Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I have a blog, which has, I, 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 and I feed that blog as much as I can, because that's really fun. I write articles about women doing challenging jobs, or I write about, you know, speaking engagements that I've done, or I have photos back in the day. So you can look at photos of my firefighting career and, 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 and I was looking at it and oh, I, I write a lot of articles about writing, you know, everything that I learned about the, about writing memoir, about um, looking for a publisher, mark, book marketing has always been, whether you publish traditionally or self-published, marketing's on you. So I taught myself how to market. I've had TV interviews. I actually had a TV show done about me with PBS. Mm. Um which I pitched to them and they said, sure. So, so I learned how to pitch the news media. So I, I write about all that to help other people, um, you know, figure out you can do this. If I can do this, you can do this. You know? mm. So, so yeah, so those are the best places to find me. Yeah. Well, you've, you've given us tons that I think we could have unpacked in this interview, but I want people to go check out your, uh, that blog, go check out your Facebook page. So it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure speaking with you as well. So that was Linda Strader. Amazing conversation. Amazing person. Really, really enjoyed speaking with her. Learning so much more about wood than firefighting. I couldn't imagine living in that world. Again, with just the movie that I've seen. And uh, she talked about how it was accurate. So movies aren't always the case. Uh, that That's not always the case. But uh, I, just in seeing that movie, I think you'll see a greater appreciation for that and the danger they put themselves in. You know, we talked about that danger and kind of being young and excited about it and how she didn't really think too much of that. But it is a dangerous, dangerous thing. These people in the movie, they perished. So I know that uh, uh, it's it's just a, it's an interesting world and, and it's a tough job. It's an extremely tough job. And then to pile on just the discrimination she was dealing with being a a woman in the field and having to do things you know 10 times better just to prove herself i i have so much so much respect for linda she's just an amazing person and uh you know like like i mentioned in the beginning i wish that i could say you know through her so many great things have happened through her and her sister's in the 70s, in the 80s, doing this job that now it's a much more equal place. But she talked about how that's not the case. It was 7% female in the 70s, and it's 7% female now. That is unacceptable. And what's further, and even more unacceptable, is the fact that there is more discrimination now and more actual physical abuse. I I'm just disgusted and I hate to hear that. Um, so I hope through conversations like this that she's having with me, she's having with the community, and uh, and hopefully other people are having too, that that is something that gets uh, curbed as quickly as possible. Because I, I just, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't think anyone would like that. But uh, 
I was expecting that part of the story to be uh, a much better one than it was. But uh, not to take away from, from her whole story, because it was, a, it was an absolutely amazing one. I urge you to go check out both of her books. The links to those will be in the show notes. The links to all things Linda will be in the show notes as well. Getting that, uh, that blog. Um, I, I just I urge you to, uh, to check her out. Uh, whether you're interested in reading those books. Whether you're interested in her, her blog. She's an amazing person. And uh, it was a pleasure to speak with her. So thanks for being here. Um, go follow us on on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast. Give us five stars on Apple and on Spotify. Leave us a written review. Always appreciate that. Until next week, take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.